This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show exploring the memory of a country that no longer exists. I'm your guide, Peter Korchnak. On a freezing December day in 2012, a primary school teacher from Kranj, Slovenia, named Suzana, took a 30-minute drive to the country's capital to join one of the demonstrations. Against the corrupt government, they were held every week all over Slovenia. We would gather in a square and then we would be walking around Ljubljana. And suddenly I heard someone singing. And there was this group of women who were singing the songs that I'd know because I used to sing them in school choirs in primary and secondary school. They were the partisan songs. And there was also this rebellion song which became an unofficial anthem of those protests. I thought to myself, I need to join this choir. I know these songs, it would be fun to sing them again. The choir was Kombinat, a women's choir based in Ljubljana. When Susanna became a member eight years ago, she joined the ranks of hundreds of women and some men singing partisan and other songs of resistance in the public square across former Yugoslavia and beyond. Who are these singers and why do they sing these songs? In today's episode of Remembering Yugoslavia, activist choirs and the songs they sing. Before we get to it, as always, this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia is brought to you by you. Thank you to everyone who has signed up to support me and Remembering Yugoslavia on Patreon or donated on the website via PayPal. Today I welcome new patron Jorik and extend my gratitude to Anna who recently doubled her pledge. If you like the show and wish to support its production, join these generous people at patreon.com slash rememberingyugoslavia or donate one time at paypal.me slash rememberingyu. That's remembering why you. That was Pesem Upora, or Song of the Rebellion, Kombinat Choir's original protest anthem. Choir member Ksenia Jus grafted her lyrics on a tune by the contemporary Slovene composer Drago Ivanusha. I first learned of the existence of activist choirs in a Culvert Journal article. The 2016 piece opened with these words. Across the post-Yugoslav territory, there are dozens of activist choirs performing. For each of them, performing goes hand-in-hand with civic engagement. Their common denominator, in addition to activism, is the use of revolutionary partisan songs to convey their message. Musicologist Anna Hoffman, whom you may remember from way back, from episode 2, The New New Life of Partisan Songs, and who was widely quoted in the Culver Journal article, has deconstructed the phenomenon of activist choirs. 
She says Combinat and their counterparts use and repurpose the legacy of the partisan struggle in the People's Liberation War. They also recall particular legacy of partisan songs as born during anti-fascist struggles and movement, which was its own self-organized movement. On another level, there are also laboratories of some new ways of musical organizing or self-organizing, some kind of laboratories or experiments for reimagining or or, uh, practicing new forms of political agency based on amateur music making. It's interesting with singing activism that somehow there's certain sense singing follows different types of activisms or, or different protests. It can just cover new movements, new protests, and just adjust repertoire. So in that way, it's a very specific form of activism. As Anna wrote in the introduction to her book on activist choirs, which I'm using as a foundation for this story, the fact that the partisan, revolutionary, and labor songs are heard again in the streets is testimony to the importance of raising a voice, loudly expressing resistance, and working towards social change. End quote. Though, as we'll hear later, members of activist choirs range in age. The fact is that singers are more or less younger people. I mean, people who basically do not remember socialist Yugoslavia. And some of them would say, and they said to me, like, we are children of capitalism. So what we remember is just this transition (laughs) and basically neoliberal capitalism, which was introduced in the most radical way in the region. In that sense, they see Yugoslav socialism and particular anti-fascism as a way of struggle not just against racism, against, you know, misogyny, against patriarchy, against, you know, right-wing parties, but also for some structural change. So some alternative, more way to reclaim some structural transformation. Of course, that they, they cannot say we want socialism, Yugoslav socialism back. And they don't say that. They definitely do not say that. But definitely what they say that that they don't want what is now is the only possible way. Anna dates the emergence of activist choirs to 2008. There is no coincidence that this year is the year of a global economic crisis, which definitely somehow also shown in this area that capitalism is not the only possible future or is not the best possible future, not just for this region, but globally. And in that context, the singing of partisan songs is also part of the broader kind of a revitalization of of return of these socialist era discourse or language or class struggle language here in the region, but definitely in dialogue with the global return and rise of anti-fascism and socialism.
Anna Hoffman based her conclusions on interviews and observations of several choirs across the ex-Yugoslav region. But because she is based in Ljubljana, Kombinat centered her study. The Kombinat Women's Choir was founded on April 27, 2008. This was Resistance Day in Slovenia, marking the establishment of the anti-Nazi occupation front in 1941. A group of friends at a bachelorette party discussed activities they could do together. So yes, they did start the choir. When Susanna decided to join four years later, incidentally the same year Kombinat released a hit CD album, she wrote an email, I want to join your choir, and I found out that when you come to the audition, they also ask you, why do you want to join this choir? Because I found out that uh, there's a lot more to it than just a choir. It's not just about singing. It's about standing for all that is important to me and obviously to all the choir members. It's about the right values. It's about supporting all the right things. So I also told them that I think I share the same determination to make things better, to stand up for what is not okay in the society. Born in 1961 to a Slovene mother and a Bosnian father, Susanna grew up singing. Okay, it was Yugoslavia, so we were all Yugoslav, but anyway... It was a country of brotherhood of all. You didn't ask people about their nationality. It was not important at all. I can say for myself that I am nostalgic because it was a beautiful time to grow up. Good music to listen to, lots of friends to make everywhere. Singing was actually in my family, all all the family members would sing. We would be singing in a car. We would be singing at home. So it was a big part of my life. I've been singing in various choirs, I can say, for all my life. Since primary school, in fact, when... Songs that were praising the President Tito or the songs that were praising the partisans were on the repertoire all the time. In secondary school... Sometimes we could skip classes because we were asked to come to a celebration of something, I don't know, the opening of a new factory wing or something like that. So uh, it was fun to sing (laughs) because uh, you could skip school and uh, have fun with your friends. Susanna had been so surprised to hear those familiar songs at the Ljubljana protest because... For some time, the partisan songs really disappeared. You couldn't hear them anywhere. They completely disappeared from the radios, from all sorts of uh, gatherings, from all sorts of um, performances, from all the choir's repertoires, actually. This happened all over former Yugoslavia. Anna Hoffman again. After the breakup of Yugoslavia, partisan songs were disregarded as an ideological form of art, a form of music with little value, fabricated directly by the Communist Party. Anti-fascist heritage was expelled from official policies of remembrance in post-Yugoslav states. These songs' revolutionary, socially engaged, and emancipatory meaning was minimized and neutralized. Performing and listening to these songs was pushed into the private sphere as controversial, if not prohibited, activities. And Kombinat was the one who brought them back. Into the public ear in Slovenia, anyway. According to Anna Hoffman, in ethnically homogeneous Slovenia, World War II history was absorbed into the national narrative and presented as an inalienable part of Slovenian national history. This made partisan songs less controversial here than other post-Yugoslav societies. So what is Kombinat? Kombinat is an activist choir, and uh, when we need to, we stand up against racism, homophobia, 
um, sexism, fascism. We support the rainbow people, workers on strike, workers who are about to get fired, the miners, the refugees, the migrants. And um, whenever we see or hear about any kind of violation of human rights or sometimes even animal rights or when we have to stand up for the nature, for the environment, we try to react whether by singing some in some place. If they call us, we go and sing, or uh, we join the protest, or we sign the petition. The Cominad Women's Choir holds performances at halls, events and commemorations at People's Liberation War sites and monuments, sings at socially engaged events like charity concerts, and performs guerrilla style on streets and in parks during demonstrations. Anna Hoffman points out that the choir's role at protests mirrors the role their counterparts played during the partisan struggle, including elevating morale, cultivating solidarity, and inspiring action. The credo of Combinat Choir, it goes like this. To ride the heritage of rebellion in red chalk, not on walls, but on eardrums. To preserve in our voices the loud musical tradition of an upright posture not succumbing to the social scoliosis. We are united in song and believe that rebellion is one of the fundamental human rights. We believe that critical thought can arise only from a stance of resistance. Our times swallow human soul, instead placing on the pedestal success, competitiveness and appearance. They do not care for human rights, although they often borrow them as an alibi. We are of all ages, and although we know that the world cannot be changed, we deeply believe that the almost forgotten values, such as solidarity, fortitude, social justice, comradeship and courage can make it more bearable and beautiful. We did not fight in a war. We were never hungry. We never had to consider the thought of placing our lives on the altar of ideologies, and we can speak in our own language since we were born. Out of respect for all who raise their voices and sacrifice their lives, we revive the songs which have emboldened spirit in the revolutions and uprisings all over the world and sing them in original languages. To us, these songs are not only words put into music, but pressures and poignant testimonies of the human fate in a better world for everybody. The choir distances itself from both the Yugo-nostalgia and the commercialization of the socialist past. Nostalgia is a very dangerous drug, one member told Anna Hoffman. They avoid songs composed during the socialist Yugoslav era, focusing rather on the heritage of anti-fascism and resistance. Combinat doesn't only sing the partisan songs. We sing the songs of rebellion from all the, over the world and we try to sing them in the ori original languages. Some of the songs are really still relevant. Uh, some of the songs are, are about, you know, giving power back to the workers. So they are still relevant so many years later. You know, I used to sing in choirs that uh, had really uh, songs that were hard to study. These songs here might not be this hard to study, but uh, 
they have the power. The songs give strength to people. Whenever we have a concert, we sing a song and one of us goes in front and tells about the song because we also want the people to know what the songs are about and what is their history, where do they originate. The choir has some 40 or 50 active members. Who are they? From videos I've seen, it looks like a multi-generational group, albeit leaning toward age groups Anna Hoffman observed, and it sounds like members aren't only from the capital. In this choir, age really isn't important. It really isn't. When I remember when I was telling people that I'm joining this choir, there were some people who said, aren't you too old for them? They are young girls. So I, I remember asking, um, am I maybe too old for this choir? Because I am one of the oldest members. The age really isn't important. What is important, okay, that you have a voice to sing, but also all the other things that I was telling you about are are more important. So I'm one of the oldest. My good friend, uh, she's also from Kran. She's the same age um, as my daughter, and she is uh, the youngest one. And we get along really well. Kombinat is from all over Slovenia. Um, so we have singers really from all the parts. There are lots of members who drive for an hour or two to practice once a week. Kombinat is one of several activist choirs in the countries of former Yugoslavia. Do you maintain any connections with other choirs around the region, collaborate even? There's a feminist choir in Ljubljana, and sometimes we held uh, concerts together. Then there's the Pula Choir, of course, uh, Praxa. Uh, we held the concerts together as well. Padaj silo i nepravdo, or Fall, O Force and Injustice, was one of the songs Bor Praxa sang at the practice they generously invited me to sit in on in January last year. The choir's headquarters and practice space is at the architectural cooperative from which the choir borrows its name, located on the ground level of an apartment tower near the center of Pula, Croatia. The firm's co-founder and choir's founder, Edna Jutsan, was born in 1982 and is a lifelong city resident and singer. I was singing in the school choir, let's say partisan songs. I went into Italian elementary school here in Pula. So we were singing this kind of song, but in Italian. I was a pioneer in uh, 88, and we had to sing some of these songs uh, the day we had uh, this promise, you know. In Italian, yes. I, I remember the song, I can sing it to you if you want. Pazzoletti rossi di seta e cotone, rossi come il sangue dei nostri partigiani. It was all about the red kerchiefs for the young pioneers back then. The seeds of Zbor Praxa date back to Edna's studies of architecture in Venice. She sang in a choir there and, when she returned to Pula, missed the singing experience. So, as one does, she came up with the idea of a concept choir that would sing only a certain repertoire. In 2014, a series of protests took place in Pula, mostly against privatization and a number of companies, the local newspaper, the defunct military zone, and fatefully the local textile factory. And people asked me if I wanted to sing uh, on this uh, protest. They wanted me to sing a song that is now really popular <laughs> because of... Uh, 
this kind of choirs. Se ven que siamo donne, paura non abbiamo, per amor dei nostri figli, in lega ci mettiamo. Even if we are women, we are not afraid. And this is a song uh, from the beginning of uh, uh, last century that were sung by rice collectors, women. They r- worked in really bad conditions and uh, to ease the pain, they would sing, you know. They wanted uh, me to sing this song because this was the strike of uh, uh, Arena Textile uh, Fabric. Most of the workers were w- women. It, it was uh, it, it very emotional and uh, people were crying and it was sad. Seven che siamo donne, paura non abbiamo, per amor dei nostri figli, per amor dei nostri figli. Seven che siamo donne, paura non abbiamo, per amor dei nostri figli, in lega ci mettiamo. Ai, io, io, la, la, e noi altri lavoratori, e noi altri lavoratori, ai liori olai, la lega la crescerà, e noi altri lavoratori, vogliamo la libertà. And uh, I was alone, <laughs> and, uh, and while, while I was singing, I was thinking it, it, it would really be nice if I had a choir, you know, it, because of the number of the voices, because because of the strength, you know, the, the message of the song. Anna Hoffman says, the singing of partisan songs points to the importance of association. The voice of the individual is hard to hear, but the joint voices are much louder and the message is stronger. This also shows that the alternative is possible. Edna asked her friends on Facebook if anyone would like to join a cooperative choir, and some did. For most of its history, the choir had seven or eight members, but... Now we are ten. People told me that uh, they heard that we don't want men to sing in the choir, and that's not true. <laughs> That's not true. We are, we are really, we would like to have uh, also guys, but uh, we cannot find them, you know. The girls, I like to call them girls, even if they are 70. <laughs> Some of them. Uh, yeah, they, they, they have really nice voices and uh, the most important thing, they are really, uh, you know, activists in, in their heart. The youngest one is 13 and the oldest one is uh, 75. We are all equal, but I'm the boss. <laughs> I'm the boss because I organize everything. Uh, I choose the songs, I make uh, arrangements, uh, I organize uh, traveling, uh, uh, concerts. Zbor Praxa performs at concerts, protests and demonstrations, and at what they call self-organized events. We usually don't sing when some uh, political party calls us. Even if they are uh, left wing. Missing and 
došla tu s neba poslati dar. Nije darovao tebe ni gospod, ni kralni car, ni kralni car. Nisi nam došla ko s neba poslati dar. Nije darovao tebe ni gospod, ni kralni car, ni kralni What songs do you sing and what is it about these songs? We started with partisan songs because they are um, the most, let's say, controversial, you know. <laughs> People uh, usually say, oh, you are the partisan choir. And it's it's not the truth. I mean, uh, we, we sing these songs, but we uh, when I choose songs, I always, always choose songs in which uh, they don't uh, sing about communism, about Tito about the communist party i love to choose the songs that are the the lyrics are universal you can sing it today and the lyrics are like they were written uh, yesterday i don't have anything against yugoslavia and i think it was a, a great uh, country and uh, the base of it was the anti-fascism and it was great because of that and uh, a lot of different uh, nations uh, lived together and but um it's not only about that it's to keep uh, all the, the all the whole story uh, more um, contemporary more uh, universal i like what uh, anna hoffman said this song now are like a metaphor you know we do not take them like uh, we are singing about partisans no we are singing about anti-fascism and this is the most important thing to say i think uh, why i don't want to, to sing about communism because I, I can see that communism also had a bad part, you know, of, of the, the ideology. And this is what, what I always say. Uh, communism was ideology and anti-fascism is way of life. Here in, in Yugoslavia, the most common error is to align, you know, communism and anti-fascism like uh, they are um, the same thing. And they are not. And then we have from all over the world, you know, other uh, songs that are about uh, women rights, workers rights, human rights, uh, revolutionary songs. We usually have these Italian workers songs and uh, Spanish uh, songs from the civil war. They have uh, really nice lyrics and uh, the melodies. We have one Spanish song, El Quinto Regimiento, and the song it's like uh, Buleria, you know, flamenco. El 18 de julio, en el patio de un convento, el pueblo madrileño fundó el quinto regimiento. <laughs> it's a little bit sad because you see that uh, in all the years that passed, 
I mean, nothing changed, you know. <laughs> People are still oppressed, but uh, because of that, these songs has a lot of uh, meaning today. With the song, you can gather more people. In, in all these uh, protests, when we started to sing, people really showed how they are angry and, uh, and showed the emotions they were feeling. People who can't go to a Zbor Praxa performance can hear the choir on a recording they made a couple of years ago. The CD was uh, the next step. I decided that after five years, uh, we should uh, like uh, make something to leave a trace, you know. <laughs> so I asked the girls and they said, yeah, of course, we want to record. We recorded the 16 songs of the album in one evening. <laughs> yes, it was like marathon. And people can uh, abide on uh, our page. They can write to me on uh, on Zbor Praxa Facebook page, and we can uh, ship it. Praxa is hoping to release another album soon. They also have pretty cool t-shirts for sale, also through the Facebook page. The other avenues Borpraxa generates revenue for their activities is workshops, where people can learn some of the songs the choir sings. Uh, for me, <laughs> it's one of the most interesting, let's say, parts of it, because uh, I like to teach, you know, these songs, uh, not only to my choir, to, to the members of my choir, but... Uh, to everyone who is interested to to learn something about the song, something about the history of the song. So I divided them in, you know, partisan songs, Italian working songs, French uh, revolutionary songs, uh, Spanish uh, songs from the Civil War. 
I prepare the, the songs, uh, usually it, uh, it's three or four songs, uh, make a translation in Croatian or in English, uh, of course, and uh, something about the song. The pandemic has affected the choir to some degree. Since last May, they've held a few socially distanced practices and performances. And today, on the day of this episode's release, March 8th, the International Women's Day, they are holding a mini-concert of 15 minutes outside of the cooperative. Zbor Praxa Bella Ciao story, because every choir has at least one, goes like this. One day, Edna got a call from the producer of an upcoming film, Run to the Sea, directed by Velko Bulaic, the director of the famous Yugoslav epic Battle on the River Neretva, whose foreign stars included Sergei Bondarchuk, Yul Brynner, Franco Nero, and Orson Welles. Apparently, the crew couldn't find a choir in all of Croatia that could sing Bella Ciao, until Zbor Praxa came along and stepped in, both as extras and as instructors. It was uh, really tough, because we had to be at uh, at the place of uh, filming at three in the morning it was march it was really really cold and we drank a lot of rakia <laughs> to, to get warm <laughs> we taught uh, people to sing the song because a lot of people knew uh, more or less the melody but the, the lyrics they didn't know all was well until it was time to settle up they didn't pay any one of the extras I heard that he said, we are not going to pay them because they they have to consider themselves lucky because they're going to be in my field. And so Zbor Praxa got burned by capitalism. If the movie ever comes out, they plan to respond in the best way they can. We, we decided to, if the film comes out, to boycott the promotion of the film. Also go there and sing <laughs> and say, okay, they, did, they didn't pay the workers of the film. <laughs> Una mattina mi son svegliata, una mattina mi son svegliata, bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, una mattina mi son svegliata e ho trovato l'invasor. O partigiano, portami via, portami via. Oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 partigiano, portami via, che mi sento di morire. I'm Snežana Borza and I'm manager of this choir and I make this choir. This choir being Kids Pop Hor. Since 2017, the choir has worked under the auspices of the Cultural Information Center Budo Tomovic in Podgorica, Montenegro. The pop in the choir's name reflects the original concept. First idea was um, uh, to sing pop and rock repertoire, and we are singing that. But uh, with cooperation with uh, Subnor, that's the uh, society of um, people who fight in the Second World War, and anti-fascist of Montenegro, you understand me? Uh, we make uh, this program. The choir's most successful project is Bez Dilemma Antifascism, or No Dilemma Antifascism, consisting of some 20 partisan anti-fascist songs from the World War II and Yugoslavia periods, which they perform wearing young pioneer kerchiefs. Snežana spoke with me in the hallway outside their classroom-like practice space at the Cultural Information Center. Choir members who are in their 40s and 50s. Our childhood were in Yugoslavia and we, are, we have great childhood. And we uh, love to sing about that period in Yugoslavia, about uh, our partisans. And uh, we like a lot of that propaganda melody, you understand me? 
all of a region of Balkan, I think, these years, uh, when uh, they see bad life, a bad social situation, a bad economic situation, they start to thinking about history and uh, thinking about uh, Tito's time, uh, Yugoslav time, and um, anti-fascistic time. We like uh, to be proletaire, to be social equal, to be brotherhood, to be liberty, to be, you understand me? I don't know English very well, but you understand me, yes. <laughs> if you call us, we come. Uh, all of us, we like that, and we do that for love, understand me? Hor 29. November, or November 29th Choir, has been singing the songs of resistance in Vienna, Austria since 2009. As you'd expect from a choir named after the date of Socialist Yugoslavia's founding, the choir has a very specific Yugoslavia-related origin story. Actually, it was initiated as a part of an artistic intervention uh, in front of an ex-Yugoslav uh, workers' club that existed throughout like 40 years, but then... Uh, due to the wars of Yugoslavia, etc., after the 90s, this like Yugoslav club became like openly nationalistic Serbian club. Jana Dolecki is the choir's conductor. Born in 1979, she has sang in choirs since her childhood in Zagreb, Croatia. She has lived in Vienna since 2014. She is a theater scholar about to defend her doctoral thesis. She spoke with me from Berlin. And this intervention was in a way a subversion to bring back the Yugoslav heritage to this working club. As far as I heard uh, from uh, Sasha Miletic and Alex Nikolic, the two founders that organized that first action, they wanted to signify the 40-year history of workers' migration in Vienna and the origins of that migration. Marko Markovic, who plays the guitar with the choir, was born in Belgrade in the 80s and moved to Vienna with his parents when he was two. He spoke with me from Salzburg. I'm pretty sure there was no 30-year anniversary of this uh, workers' club because 1999, it was too soon to the war. And, and if you would have stood and made a Yugoslav statement in the 90s, I think you would have had physical backlash to that idea, even in Vienna. This group consisted mostly of people coming from ex-Yugoslavia, being born in Austria or being born in Serbia, Croatia, Bosnia, somewhere in the region, but moved to Austria. So you had this like conglomerate of different destinies connected with uh, ex-Yugoslavia and they felt empowered in a way, like to be able to first to be together in some kind of form where there is no uh, importance whether you're Serb or Croatian or Bosnian. And second of all, that they stood for something and they, they were actively, openly showing their political statement as well. 
in that moment of activism, they found out that they really enjoyed it. Both Marco and Jana emphasize that theirs are the only delineated, somewhat formal positions in the choir. Their personal stories aren't representative of the choir, which has some 80 members from a multitude of countries and of very diverse backgrounds. The choir is the message, so to speak, as it's its name. On the one side, it's very concrete, it's numbers, but on the other side, it's becoming something very surreal. I mean, it doesn't exist anymore as as a celebration day. So that's also like some kind of a utopia, nostalgic utopia. It's shifting its um, significance, which I find very interesting. So that you are commemorating a date which doesn't exist anymore, but you are promoting it in the future. Both the choir's membership and repertoire have evolved since its founding. It became bigger and bigger. It changed its repertoire because as we grew, the people coming in were uh, Austrians, but also Germans. We have uh, people from France, from all over Europe, I would say. So with the people, uh, the repertoire grew. So now we have like songs uh, in 13 languages, uh, maybe even more, that deal with mostly like the working class struggle, the feminist struggle a lot. Uh, specific uh, part of our repertoires are the anti-fascist Yugoslav songs. We are like a, a huge conglomerate of 40 people. When when we sing in concerts, there are more people. <laughs> so it's very dynamic and very loud. And maybe one of the most um, important specifics of, the, of our choir is that no one needs to know how to sing. So in this way, we imitate the original uh, founding fathers and mothers of uh, singing collectives during the anti-fascist struggle, because I think that they were not so focused on who sings best or something like that. I would say that the choir right now is something like a second generation of the choir because, I mean, there are still some members there that were there in the beginning, but uh, it's become so big now that um, it's kind of a very, very different dynamic than it was 10 years ago. We are very, very revolving kind of uh, choir with a lot of people going through and we sometimes call it a train station. From a musical perspective, it now sounds better than it did in the beginning. Um, some of that punk atmosphere has definitely smoothed a bit. And there are now um, really complex arrangements and multiple voices. And, and a lot of that uh, is due to Jana trying really new stuff with the people, which is really amazing. We are really at least trying, but I think we are succeeding in with whatever risk this may uh, bring, to be a democratic um, group. We decide on our repertoire, on our concerts, on our demonstrations that we follow, on everything through plenums and uh, discussions. Although with 40 plus people, it can sometimes be really challenging. But this is the only way we can, we can imagine it to be. When I asked Jana and Marco to pick a song to play on the show, the first one they picked was Bella Ciao. You've already heard Kids Pop Horse rendition I had recorded at their practice. To hear Susana, the Combinat choir member in neighboring Slovenia, explain it. Bela Ciao is one of the very popular songs nowadays, right? Especially with the money heist serials. Not a lot of people know that Bela Ciao originates in 1920s in Italy, where the women who were 
picking the rice were singing it. It was in Lombardia and Piemont in two Italian provinces. The work was hard and the masters would beat them. So they were, you know, encouraging themselves with the song. The partisan movement took it later for their song and it even later became the anti-fascist sort of anthem. Her 29 November's rendition, recorded at their practice, is... The medley of two songs, actually. So the first one is Bella Ciao, the original, just sang in Kurdish. And the other song is one of the songs that celebrates the Kurdish female combatants movement. We wanted to have like both female and the male gaze on the combat. And in Kurdish, it's even more powerful. <laughs> is officially a non-profit organization in order to raise funds for their activities and projects. You can donate to Hort 29 November at hort29n.wordpress.com. Members also co-founded an event that brings activist choirs from all over Europe together. After a few years, I think, uh, after three or four years, the, the idea started already to substantiate itself that the choir needs to connect with other similar choirs. From that idea on, there was formed the concept of organizing a festival here in Vienna. 
And uh, that festival became the Festival of Alternative Choirs. It had its, I think, fourth installment, 2019. So that was the last time we did it. Founded by ex-Yugoslavs, how is that demographic represented in the choir today? I think it reflects the current numbers in Austria. (laughs) We are a minority. (laughs) What was really important for me when coming to Vienna is this choir was this kind of, you know, like ideal integrational uh, structure where you come, somebody asks you where you're from, but it doesn't matter. You're speaking the same language. You're like living the utopian version of Yugoslavia you once knew in a completely different setting and something like that, which is incredibly powerful. I'm really proud of this, that everybody can come here and not be questioned on their um, nationality. The thing is, if you manage to bring in others to your struggle or to invite them to come and recognize your struggle or your songs or the the main thing behind the songs, that's like this solidarity issue. It's also like the common denominator of people To give you an example, one of um, our singers was from Syria and he totally got like one very famous Maltiki uh, song about uh, workers on an original song by Idoli. He loved this song and he said like, I want to sing it every time. I totally get what it means and what I like the melody and everything. that sink in for a little bit. A Syrian refugee elatedly singing an 80s Yugoslav New Wave band's proletarian song with a Russian title in a choir in Austria. You realize, okay, that there is so much we can share and it's not like this, you know, hippie sharing thing. There is something behind it. There is a power. People really connect through that, although they're not perfect singers or something like that. Like Kombinat and Zbor Praxa, the November 29th choir performs at a range of places and events. We do try to perform in as many public spaces as possible without uh, being confined to this classical concert setting. I mean, we do have concerts uh, on a stage and with uh, microphones and everything, but uh, it is very important for the choir to also be very mobile and to go out in the streets and sing where the social conflicts of, of our, our city and our lives is happening and um, be a politically activist choir uh, in the truest sense. So we do have a great variety of, of locations where we sing. We sometimes do flash mob uh, tours where we go from one public space in Vienna to the next uh, via the subway and sing at multiple places uh, during one day and all kinds of demonstrations and um, vigils and stuff that is happening on the public sphere. As with their counterparts, the goal is to promote and protest. In their activities, November 29th demonstrates what Anna Hoffmann calls new sincerity, a global trend of skewing or moving beyond postmodern cynicism as a reaction to politics. It rejects cynicism as a way of evading responsibility and promotes speaking one's mind. New sincerity adopts socialism values and ideas without sentimentality and represents and manifests a return to authenticity." End quote. On the one hand, uh, there is definitely an aspect of activism. The forefront of the goals of many people in the choir is to 
uh, actively participate in the political struggles in the political life and to be a voice that uh, cannot be ignored. And so I think that in that sense, uh, it also gives people a lot of ways to think about solidarity. And the choir is the place where you can connect a lot of different struggles together. And I think that's one of the goals as well, is to make it possible to think how different struggles are in some way the same. One other aim for a lot of people is a communal aim. I think uh, being together in this kind of group is, is um, definitely a feeling that a lot of people in the choir need and uh, cherish. In a world where all leftist politics is also very much splintered up and very much uh, divided into a lot of different uh, ideological subcategories, I think the choir is a, is a possibility for a lot of people to have a space where all those dividing moments are also in some way lifted and in some way enables them to share the still a common thread amongst all of those policies, which is anti-fascism. The choir maintains a clear position along those lines, even as they engage in a variety of causes and struggles. As diverse as that might be, there is still a very clear thread that we are trying to follow through. And so there is this anti-fascist element that is simply not negotiable. There is the anti-sexist element, the anti-racist element. We have uh, um, discussions and collaborations uh, where we get asked to participate in some project and where we also have to say no, even though the project may be really close to what we are doing. But if it does not feel right for the choir, for the collective as a whole, we will distance ourselves from stuff where we don't see the fit or see the need. Unlike Kombinat and Praxa, November 29th has no plans to record their work. I have no idea how this would work with us because 90% of the thing is being live, being spontaneous, reacting to the atmosphere, reacting to the beer we have or the alcohol. I don't know. We won't be able to do this in, in studio. Yeah. It's really an open collective still. You don't have to be there for every rehearsal. And so we have at every rehearsal, we have 30 to 40 people, but it's always 30 to 40 different people. It's not always the same group. I think the whole choir is probably 80 people all together. And that makes it challenging in terms of rehearsing and how do you practice the stuff. But it also gives it this lively feel that would never be possible to capture in a, in a studio setting. Anna Hoffman says, the choirs are a form of acting together in a world that emphasizes individualism. Joint bodies, joint voices produce a strong vibration that strongly mobilizes the audience. It produces that specific feeling that sends shivers up your spine because you feel that you are a part of something that moves you. Both singers and the audience often evoke the energy of these songs, the same energy that gets people to cry or to feel a catharsis through a vibration, especially in the moments of joint singing between the choir and the audience, end quote. It is for this reason, Anna says, choir singing will probably be among the last cultural activities to be allowed again. COVID hit the November 29th choir particularly hard. We cannot be together and it's a choir that functions, like the energy of singing together, it's like the most precious thing that we have. And it was really like a point of your day where you can release your problems and think about something else, just drink a beer with friends and, and sing and be loud and analyze all the shit you're going through and, and express anger or something like that. And then it stopped. <laughs> Like all the other choirs, November 29th did a few socially distanced rehearsals and performances outdoors for a while. We tested our limits with the cold resistance and everything. We were really like freezing outside and stuff. And then at one point we said, okay, that's enough. And so they moved online, but of course it's not the same. 
This is when the effective aspect of activist choir singing, the bodily impact the activity has, becomes the most pronounced. Suddenly you feel the most vulnerable group activity like of all time. Choir singing, no way. And it hit us really hard because you're in this so intensively, in this like group feeling, like we've never separated. We are standing so close to each other. Right now, I think we are pretty much waiting for the possibility to meet in person again, which would simply be the true feeling which we all miss. Okay, that's the choirs, the stories, the personalities, the songs. Now what about the audiences? How do listeners or spectators react to this music? What's the feedback the choirs are getting? We have reactions from utter enthusiasm to like uh, utter ignorance. The most radical problem we had until today was when we sing in one private shopping mall uh, during Christmas uh, <laughs> shopping and stuff like that, where we sang uh, for 15 minutes a critic of consumerism or something like that in different languages. And then we came out and we were warned that this was a private space, although we were standing outside on the pavement. And police came with, I think it was like 10 uh, police uh, vans armed uh, up to their teeth. And this was like the most drastic reaction that we have. So there is a huge span of reactions. Of course, when we sang in Zagreb, in Belgrade, the songs from Partisan Struggle and songs in Serbo-Croatian, the audience just went mad because they have like 40 people. That's like very... I mean, emotional to people. Like, I mean, in a way, they realize, okay, somebody else is getting our heritage and they're like disseminating it and singing it further. And on the other hand, they cannot understand like our German songs, which are also very, for us, very important. And on the other hand, in Austria, I mean, for me, the most cherished reactions are of people who are coming from former Yugoslavia and hear us sing somewhere in Austria or Germany. In their view, it's kind of like this heritage, they don't see it that much in their normal space, in normal lives. Wherever we sing audiences is um, more emotional with the tears in the eyes. I like um, to see in public all family, children with parents, with grandmother, grandfather, with some peop old people with medals, with uh, uh, red uh, marama. Understand me? We enjoy that. And in Montenegro especially, uh, we are anti-fascistic country, 100%. But our experience in Belgrade, same. And Priepolje in Serbia, same. In Sarajevo, same. I think that we do a great thing. Great and big thing, yes. Look at our Facebook uh, uh, page and you will see a lot of like and commentars and from all ex-Yugoslavia. 
people come after the concert in tears, you know, and, and they want to hug us and they said, wow, you are great. We love you. <laughs> you made us cry. Uh, you sing so powerful. One of the, uh, one of the cutest, you know, it was a, a little girl in, uh, in Vienna. She came and she was crying and, and she, she said that she couldn't believe that uh, these songs are so uh, beautiful. And you see that people really need this, need to, to be together to, to fight against something that's making us really poor. <laughs> I'm used to singing a choir, but uh, the response that we get in Combinat Choir, I've never got it anywhere else. People would cry. People would stand up. People would sing with us because we think that songs of rebellion are the ones that has to be sung by everyone. So standing on the stage, we want to erase this border between us and the people listening to us. We want them to sing along. And they do. They do. They sing, they applaud, they sometimes stand up. We tell them they can do that. Okay. And, um, of course, in each of our concerts, we had to give the encore. We had to sing another few songs and uh, our conductor would turn around and start conducting to the people. So they must sing along with us. Okay. We, we, we tell them, okay, we will sing another song, but you must sing along. Once there was an eight-year-old girl, her mother came to tell us that she was having a birthday that day and she wanted to have a birthday party at our concert. That was the present for her, to come to our concert. Sometimes we see the small children who know all the lyrics and sing along with us. And sometimes you, what is the most touching is seeing the elderly people. They sing they sometimes cry. They come at the end of the concert and tell us, thank you so much for singing these songs. And plenty of times, a lot of us during the singing, well, we weep a bit. When I first heard one of these choirs sing partisan songs in a YouTube video, I had a visceral negative reaction. Though I didn't yet know the songs I was hearing, a memory from my childhood in 1980s Czechoslovakia hit me. Don't differ not, I and all the other kids had to sing the international, the Soviet anthem, the song of labor at music class, at assemblies, at marches. 
But as soon as I looked into it, into what I was actually seeing and hearing, the whole thing became intriguing. Songs of resistance do have a place in today's world. They do bring people together for common causes and against common foes, peacefully and communally and, well, in tune. There are a number of other choirs in the ex-Yugoslav activist space, including Zborke in Slovenia, Lesbor in Croatia, Horkestar, Naša Pjesma in Svetonazori in Serbia, Raspejan i Skopjani in North Macedonia, Pinko Tomažić in Trieste, Italy. I can't wait to see a live performance someday. I got goosebumps at the two practices I witnessed, the shivers down my spine, so the quote-unquote real deal must be, well, something else. Until then, I'll watch and listen online, as will we all. Smrt fascismo. Next time on Remembering Yugoslavia. We have the partisan graffiti, graffiti that were written during the liberation phase and the post-war. All across Istria and the Slovenian literal, World War II-era slogans painted on walls stubbornly persist. What are these graffiti? How did they survive since the 1940s? On the next episode of Remembering Yugoslavia, World War II-era graffiti and their meaning. Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. That's all for this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia. Thank you for listening. Find additional information, song embeds and lyrics with translations and a transcript of this episode at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast. If you like the show, tell a friend or two. If you also have a minute to spare, give us a star rating or write a review at Apple Podcasts. And if you have some unbudgeted cash on hand, become a monthly supporter on Patreon. Outro music courtesy of Robert Petrich. Additional music by No Sense and Petar Alarkic licensed under Creative Commons. Songs by Zhenski Pevsky Zbor Kombinat, Zbor Praxa, Kids Pop Hor and Hor 29 November, played with permission and eternal gratitude. I'm Peter Korchniak. Ciao!